All right, Revelation chapter 3, and we'll begin reading at verse 14 tonight. Revelation 3, 14. <clears throat> and unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, be zealous, therefore, and repent. Our Heavenly Father, once again, we look to you. We thank you for speaking to us this morning, but we've got a whole week ahead of us, and we need to remember what we heard this morning, even knowing God, in Sunday school for the adults, in the wonderful song about all the way with Jesus, every day walking with Jesus in that intimate relationship. And for the need for revival, we know that we need it. We pray, Lord, that you'll stir us and that you'll challenge us and teach us how to meet the conditions. And then, Lord, we pray for you to bless the preaching tonight and through the rest of the week. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. <clears throat> Usually, when you look at a church, you can see the different spiritual temperatures. There are some that are on fire for the Lord and really hot, and then there are some that you kind of look at, you wonder if they're really even saved, or you don't want to be judgmental, there's no heartbeat there. Then there are some that you think, well, they're probably saved, but they just seem to be a little lukewarm. And I know that I've been lukewarm at times in my own life, so I'm not saying what's the matter with you. But in this passage of Scripture, this is addressing a lukewarm church. Now, many people say that the lukewarm church is referring to the last church age on earth before Jesus returns. I'm not so sure, honestly, that I believe that because I think that each one of these applies in different time periods for each church we could be lukewarm, we could be at another church uh, with another issue. But it is true that it seems that in our day in the American church, we are in this lukewarmness by and large. And we do not want to be lukewarm. I'll ask pastors, how are your church doing? They'll say, oh, by average, I'll ask youth pastors, how's your youth group doing? Oh, it's not too bad, not too good. How's the soul winning program going? Well, we get a few people going, but it's really hard to get anybody committed anymore. There's another evidence maybe of lukewarmness. Um, I'll ask teenagers who are obviously not, with, not right with God, how are you doing spiritually? I asked one young man and he said, everything's cool. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I asked another one who was not right with God, how are you doing spiritually? And he said, I'm no worse than anybody else around here as if everybody else around here is the standard. Now, in Revelation 3, God looks at the latest seen church, and he says, you're lukewarm. 
and I have to, I want to spew you out of my mouth. Now, how many of you have ever had the flu? When you get the flu, your stomach turns and turns till you want to spew out what it is bothering you. Well, God sees lukewarm Christianity and it turns his stomach. That's what it says. It says that he wants to spew us out because it turns his stomach. Now, we won't lose our salvation, but we, if we are lukewarm, and that tends to be the church in our day in the United States, that it turns the stomach of God and it makes God sick. That's what he said. So this evening, I don't want to preach this long maybe, but I do want to talk to us about lukewarmness. And the passage gives some insight into the life of the lukewarm Christian and the lukewarm church, why we get this way sometimes, what we become when we get lukewarm and content, and then what we need to do. Now, first of all, it talks about why we become this way. And you can see the insight is the way it addresses the average Christian's covetousness. All right, let's take a look at verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. Now, I don't think that many of us would think of ourselves as materialists, but you take away our Dunkin' Donuts, and let's see how we do. We don't think of ourselves as materialists, but you take away that little extra trip to the restaurant, or you take away the toilet paper in the grocery store, and you see how we get just like a bunch of raving animals. Now, we go in and we go to get our flavored Diet Coke. Instead, all they have is Diet Pepsi. We say, what is this? A third world country or something? Now, the truth is, third world countries, I've been there, they don't even have Diet Pepsi or Diet Coke. But we get so used to having the things that we have enjoyed that if we don't have something, it really bothers us. I think that's an insight that we have become rich and increased with goods and have a focus on these things a little bit more than we actually need to. Now, the Bible tells us that the Laodicean church, that lukewarm church, why they are lukewarm it is because they are wrapped up in the material things. Now, there's nothing wrong with having the best that we can have, and there's nothing wrong with doing our best. In fact, that's one of the things that I like about capitalism. Capitalism is, if you work hard, then you'll be rewarded for it. Socialism and Marxism is, if you work hard, then somebody else will be rewarded for it. So that's why I like capitalism, and there's nothing wrong with it. But we sometimes get to where that's the thing that we live for is things, 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 and better things and more things. Now, if you have the choice between an average car or a Lincoln Navigator or a town car, what would you choose? As an adult, you'd probably take the Navigator or town car. As a teenager, if you had an average car or you had a Mustang, you'd rather have a Mustang. I would too. Somebody drove up one time, and they go, stopped and hopped out. I don't know why teenagers think that no matter if they are driving five feet or 500 miles, they have to go 95 miles per hour. So he pulled up, and he stops, and he gets out, and he says, this baby's never been driven in the rain. 
this baby's never been driven in the snow. When I get out, I wipe off the muffler. Now, I looked at that vehicle and I thought, would I like to have a 2003 Mustang, never been driven in the rain with a nice clean muffler? Sure. I'd rather have a 1965 Mustang. But I could tell that this kid was so wrapped up in his automobile that that was the biggest thing in his life. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to have an above-average car, an above-average home, an above-average paycheck. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have above-average clothes, not just get by, but the nice ones for your wife and for your children, the ones that you like, or the ones that I would like. I love buying my wife a dress that she likes, especially when it's on sale 90% off. But there's nothing wrong with wanting to have the best of the things that we can have if we count them a blessing from God. And if we can do without them when we have God as God being the center of our attention and God being enough. Now, I can remember talking uh, to a group of young people and I said, how are you doing spiritually? They said, we're okay. I said, would you say you're hot, lukewarm, or would you say you're cold? And they said, well, we're not hot on fire for God. Well, we're not God-haters, but we're just kind of neutral. And you know what I told them that is that's actually neutral is actually lukewarm. Now, why were they lukewarm? Because they were just mesmerized with the sports, just mesmerized with the fun, mesmerized with the cars. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of all those other things entering in choked out the spiritual in their life so that they couldn't even see it. Most people that are lukewarm, they focus just on themselves, what they can get, how comfortable they are, their me time. We all have to have me time or we all have to have family time. But you know what's happened? It's gotten me, 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 my, 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 us, us, us. And we have gone into a phase of lukewarmness. When my daughter Allie was little, I would take her into Walmart, and there usually was only one thing that she wanted when we would go into Walmart, everything she didn't have. <laughs> she would walk up to me and she would say, Daddy, because she had a deep voice, can we buy this? We never had this before. She didn't even know what it was, but she wanted it because we didn't have it. She walked up to me with something else she didn't have, so it must have been awesome. So she said, Daddy, can we buy this? We never had this before. And she walked up to me, honestly, with a purple plunger. <laughs> and she said, Daddy, can we buy this? We never had this before. Now, honestly, it was kind of a pretty plunger. But because she wanted it, and I thought it was cute, I just bought it for her. But when she was little, she just wanted everything she didn't have. And I remember her saying to my wife, Mommy, I love things, things, things. And now that she's matured, she doesn't love things, things, things. In fact, if I ask her if she wants anything, she doesn't want really anything. She'll say, I don't need anything for Christmas. I don't need anything for my birthday. And it makes it a little bit more difficult to buy something for her, as you can imagine. But the idea is we've got to grow up and we've got to get over things, 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 sports, sports, sports. 
entertainment, 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 luxury, 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 rest, 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 my time, my time, my time, family time, family time, family time. And there are churches that do destroy family time. And if we do here, we got to be careful. But I will say there are churches that have put it on a pedestal to the point that there's no longer Wednesday night for the men, women, and the children. Why? Because we'll just have the men one night so that the ladies and the kids can have some family time. And then we'll have the women on another night so the men can be with their kids and have some family time. And then we won't even have it one night because people need family time. And then we don't have Sunday night now because our people need family time. And even family time is not as important as God. And so we can do anything that we need to do that God tells us to do. And God tells us to love our families and make time for our families. God said that when he was, would come in the millennium, that when he is here, he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Do so you know what that means? God wants dads to care about their kids, not just the moms. And if you as a parent aren't making any time for your kids, you've got to do something about that. But yet, we look at this and it's all me, 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 and things, 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 things. And what happens? The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, well, this will make us happy. This will make us happier. This will make us happier. Rest. And the lust of other things. Sports are so awesome. Golf, it's great. Sure it is. It has its place. But not like God. And all of these things, 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 activities, activities, comforts, 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 time, me time, our time, all of that has its place, but it can never get to where it substitutes God's place. Now, the cares of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of other things entering, choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. And the Bible warns, Mark 4, 19, that the cares of the world will destroy us. Now in Luke 12 and verse 15, take heed, beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things, things, things that he possesseth. 1 Timothy 6.10 For the love of money is the root of all evil, which some, having coveted after, have heard from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Things, things, got to have them. Sports, got to watch it, can't miss that one. And all of this choking us out to where we become lukewarm cold, cooled by the flesh and the things of the world. Not all bad things, but games, not God. Worshiping the gold instead of the God who gives us the blessings to even have gold. Now, so many scriptures, God is so much more important than things, things, things. Now, is work keeping you out of church when you could be at church. There's nothing as an adult that says that you don't have to work. My daughter's a paramedic, and somebody has to be a paramedic on Sunday. Why? Because somebody might have a heart attack on Sunday and kind of needs a paramedic. But when you are choosing, when you don't have to, 
to make an extra buck so you can buy things. We need to adjust these things. God can do more for us in one second than an entire year of working on Wednesday nights when you don't have to. All God has to do is choose to bless, and there it is. But He will not bless until He is the priority. Do you have kids that are missing church? Because, listen, you let them. Why do you let them? Well, they got a job. Are they putting food on the table to feed their wife and kids? No. They don't have to do that. Well, they're trying to save for college. Do your best, but let God take care of the rest. Well, they're trying to get a car, and I'm trying to teach them discipline. You as a parent have got to teach your kids now, because if you don't teach them now, they're not going to pick it up later, probably. So we've got to get back to understanding, don't be materialistic. Don't live for the temporary, live for the eternal. And the average Christian that gets lukewarm is partly getting lukewarm because this constant things, 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 the sports, 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 the family time, family time, family time, the me time, me time, me time, and all of that has its place. But we don't want to let anything cool down our hot fire for God. All right, now, number one, why do we sometimes become lukewarm? I struggle with lukewarmness. Anybody else here to struggle with it from time to time? Why do we become lukewarm? One of the big reasons is our covetousness. We get all wrapped up about ourselves. Now, the second thing in this passage that's pointed out is the average Christian or the lukewarm Christian ends up getting into some character that's pretty bad. So let's look at the lukewarm Christian's character. All right, now notice when we become lukewarm, we get pretty soft on ourselves. Soft on sins. Soft on our commitments. Well, I'm so busy already, so I'm so busy, I, I can't just do this Saturday soul winning thing anymore. I just can't. We get soft on sins. Now, where do we pick this up? Notice what it says about this lukewarm Christian and his character that comes because of his lukewarmness. Verse 17, Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, it's probably how he becomes lukewarm. He gets covetous. And knoweth not, when he says I have need of nothing, knoweth not, God says, that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, I like the way God gives us the benefit of the doubt. He says, no, it's not that you become this way. Now, when I was a youth pastor, and I'm sorry, when I was a teenager, my youth pastor came to me and he played a joke on me. He brought me a caramel-covered apple. So I bit into it, and it was not a caramel-covered apple. It was a caramel-covered onion. And it was wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And you know what I did? I went to a garbage can as close as I could find one, and I went, and I spewed it out of my mouth. Now, it looked like a caramel-covered candy apple on the outside, but it was wretched on the inside to the core. Now, the illustration, no, it's not. God has given us the benefit of the doubt. I think it gives some insight that sometimes we look pretty good on the outside, but we're a little more rotten on the inside than we look on the outside. And that's what happens. Lust comes in, and nobody sees it. 
Pride comes in, nobody sees that because the outside's just right. We can talk it and we can look it. Um, hate comes in, bitterness, all of these things. And the outside looking good, but man looks on the outward appearance, God sees the rotten onion on the inside. Now look at the way that God describes the lukewarm Christian in this passage. All right, now the first word that he chose is the word wretched. But knowest not that thou art wretched. Now, I looked up the word wretched in the dictionary, and here's what it means. It means bad, ill, errant, dreadful, horrid, horrible, dire, rank, foul, rotten. I'll read that again. Bad, ill, errant, dreadful, horrid, horrible, dire, rank, foul, rotten. Isn't that flattering? Now, that's the way that God chose the very first word to describe the lukewarm Christian. He'll end up being this way. He'll get rotten, he'll get rank, he'll get wretched, and maybe just on the inside, but it's there. Now, I can understand why God chooses the word wretched. Now, as we talked about revival today, I know we already hit sin pretty hard, but if you look around, there's a lot of wretchedness that's going on in Christian circles. One Christian school graduation party that I went to, I had to leave because they served alcohol. The Bible still says that that is wrong. I went to another graduation party, they served champagne. The Bible still says, look not on the wine when it is red when it stirreth in the cup. Now, if you've gotten into that, that's what the Bible says. And you know what that stirring in the cup is? That's the fermentation process. And the Bible that we claim that we believe, and we do believe, says that that is wrong. Now, if you've gotten into that, you have probably gotten into this lukewarm Christianity. You're getting soft on things that are clear in the Bible, and we spend more time trying to make it justified than we do trying to be pure. Now, follow me. Follow me. It's true. I go on the Internet once in a while, and Facebook, I'll say something. One time, I got a little bit irate, and I don't know if I was fully in the spirit or not, I'll be honest. But there was a friend who used to work in my ministry, used to work under me, and then went to another ministry. And you know what? This one said, my boss is so good that the boss bought champagne for all of us today at work. And here I'm thinking, who in the right mind would say champagne is acceptable? And so what I did was I put on the internet, do you know when we'll have revival? When people care more about being right with God than they do champagne championing for champagne. And I have never gotten a tax like I got attacked for that. I'm sure that I got a tax at least 500 of them for my simple statement about champagne. And when it was all done, I said, hey, if you want to be a champion for champagne, go ahead. But I believe the Bible is against it. Amen. Now, there are so many ways that God looks down and he says, you have gotten into wretched Christianity. One Christian college had a Bible study, and their Bible study in Pennsylvania was, we're going to meet at the bar, and we're going to have a beer and Bible night as they study the Word of God. People claim to be Christians, 
are comfortable sleeping with somebody that they're not married to. People claiming to be Christians are comfortable living with somebody that they're not married to. And all of this, I can see why God would say you're wretched. But then there are others of us that may not be doing those horrible things, but then things that we're allowing in our lives that God would say are wretched. Now let God point it out in you. Is there anything in you that God would say is wretched? Now, if there is, you probably know about it right now. Because probably the Holy Spirit's saying, yeah, that right there. Yes, wretched, horrible, dire, rank, foul, rotten. Mind, foul, rotten. Language, foul, rotten. And that's that lukewarm Christian. And we don't want to be that way. We can do better than that. Now, the next word that he says to describe our lukewarmness, or a Christian that might be lukewarm, Revelation 3.17, Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not, you don't realize how, how far you've decayed. You've gotten soft on things that you used to think were wrong. You never let your kids watch that when they were little. Now you watch it. Wretched, and then he says, miserable. Now, not many Christians are full of the joy of the Lord. Not many are truly happy. Why? Because if we're not walking in a close fellowship with God, with the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be full of joy. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you're the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. Abide in me and I in you, and you'll bring forth much fruit. Now, what is the fruit that will bring forth if we're walking, walking in fellowship with God? John 15, 5, abide in him, will bring forth fruit. John 15, 11, these things I write unto you, that my joy might remain in you. In other words, if we're not right with the Lord, we're not going to really be full of joy. Now, if you've lost your joy, a good question to ask yourself, have you lost your close fellowship with God? Now, then he goes on. And he says another thing to describe us. He says poor. To understand poor, you got to do a little bit of research. Look at Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. So God points out there are seven golden candlesticks. And he is in the midst of them. Now then look at Revelation 1.20, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So here's what he's saying of these churches in the book of Revelation. They are symbolized by a golden candlestick. So what does the gold represent? It represents the church. Golden candlestick. Now, why would he say that we as a church have become poor if we're lukewarm? Now, the applications that I'm giving, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, there could be other applications, but these are at least applications we could make. I think it's very good to understand that if we're lukewarm, we're going to be wretched. We're going to get into things. We're going to get soft, and we can't do that. That's lukewarmness. Every sin matters. Every sin matters because it breaks our fellowship with God. 
Now, I don't think we need to beat ourselves up if we fall and we get back up. But if we don't care if we fall and don't care if we get right, there's a problem. Now, miserable, we're not happy, at least an application is, if when we become lukewarm, we're not fellowshipping with God in that intimate relationship with God, we're not going to be happy ourselves. If you want to have a little bit of heaven on earth, walk with God while you're here. And His presence is fullness of joy. Amen. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. You get apples from an apple tree, oranges from an orange tree. Love, joy, and peace comes from God's tree. So we've got to walk with Him while we're here, not be lukewarm. Spew us out of His mouth. Now then He says, poor, we're called poor. Now then He says that we're called gold. Now, how could gold possibly be poor? I'm just thinking of an application. I'd like to have a little bit of that poor gold. Now, I don't know a lot about gold, but I do know this. If it's full of impurities, it's not as valuable as if you burn those impurities out and the value increases. Is that right? Now, I think an application at least for us to consider is maybe we are called poor when we're lukewarm, because we're so full of impurities, we're of little value to God. Now, He cares about us, that doesn't change. But yet, our value to the work of God, or Him using us, does change. Now, it's hard for us to be effective in the hands of God when we've got dirt in our hearts. And it makes all the difference. It's hard to be effective for God if we've got dirt in our testimonies. If you want to know how a Christian really should live, ask an unsaved person how a Christian should live, and he'll tell you how a Christian should live. And he'll tell us. They'll tell us that we shouldn't do certain things. But then sometimes we still do those things. And then we go to the neighbor and we say, hey, you need to come to church. And they're going, yeah, right. You and your wife fight more than me and my wife. What do you have to offer me? What? I hear you yelling all the time. You don't think your neighbor's here? And we've become so full of impurities that we're losing our value to be servants of God. Now, God says, wretched, don't be that way. Get the impurity out. If you're involved in some wretchedness, you know it. What is it? Let the Lord tell you. Is it pornography? Wretched, rank, miserable, dire, horrid, horrible. There are unsaved people that don't even get into that, but you do. Horrible. And you can repent. And you can do better. God has never failed a Christian who wants the help. But you have to want it. You want to get out of it. Now, wretched, miserable, poor our testimonies or our effectiveness because we've got sin in our life, we quench the Holy Spirit, we are far from God. And then he goes on and he says, blind. Now, Psalm 119, 105, that word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, if you go into a dark room and you have the light turned down really low and you look in the mirror, you look pretty good. But then you turn the light on and you go, whoa, I need to fix my hair. If you look in the mirror with a light turned dim, you look pretty good. And then you turn the light on, ladies, and you find out your makeup's got a big blop right there. And you got to rub it in. 
Have you ever worked on an automobile, man, or worked on something and then you touched your face? I remember Heather Murray used to travel with us in music. They had to quit in the end of 2021, and now he's a pastor, youth pastor in a church and doing a wonderful job, and they will travel with us again. They're coming to our house this week. We have a lot of fellowship with them a lot. But anyway, one day Heather went into a pizza place with my wife, and she was eating a pizza, and she had an itch, so she wiped her face here, and then she wiped this stuff off her mouth, and then she had an itch up here, she wiped a napkin up there, and then she had an itch on her forehead here, so she wiped it there, then she wiped the food off her mouth, and then she had it here, and then an itch there, and she wipes this there and there, and she had no idea, but she had lipstick here, lipstick there, lipstick there, lipstick here, and up there, and she actually went in the store and didn't even know it, and my wife saw it and just cackled. Now, sometimes we don't realize the smudge marks we've got in our lives and that we become blind to the things that we should not have in our lives. All right, now, as illustration, if you never read your Bible and you say, I have need of nothing, you're blind. You do have need of something. You do. You're not a God-hater, but you are not Okay, the Bible says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. You become blind. If you are browsing on your cell phone and looking at things that you should not, but you say, You're okay, you're blind. The Bible says, Psalm 101, verse 3. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Even if it's just a little bit sensual and not full bore filth. Set no wicked thing before your eyes. And if you're doing that and you're thinking you're okay, you're blind. If you're disrespectful to your mom or your dad. Mom or your dad. There was a girl who came to me. She had just been fighting with her, dad, her mom. Actually, I went to her, and I said, do you always talk with your mom like that? She said, yes. We don't get along. I said, well, do you talk to your dad like that? No way. He'd backhand me. So I opened up my Bible, and I showed her, and I asked her to read it. I said, it says, honor thy father and thy what? She said, and thy mother. I said, oh, and thy mother? And then I gave her several other verses that said, honor thy father and thy mother. Honor thy father and thy mother. Mark 7, 10. Honor thy father and thy mother. Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. Honor thy father and thy mother. Proverbs says in 20, Whosoever curseth father or mother, let him die their death. And young people, listen, teenagers, I know you don't like everything that your parents do, but if you're not right with mom or dad, you're not right with God. And I go a step further. If you're not right with your stepmom or stepdad, Jesus had a stepdad. Joseph was not his physical father. So when we are looking at our lives, we want to make sure that we let the light of the Word of God shine on it. If you're mean to your wife, men, you may know a lot of Bible verses. You may win a lot of people to the Lord. You might be, in everybody's estimation, extraordinary Christian character. But if you are not nice to your wife, God knows. 
and you're not right with God on that. And you're blind, thinking that you have need of nothing. That needs to get fixed. And the list could go on. Now then he goes, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and then it says naked. Now to understand naked, I think the application is found in Revelation 3 and verse 5. Let's look at Revelation 3 and verse 5. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot his name out of the Lamb's book of life. White raiment and the Lamb's book of life are synonymous. So white raiment, I think, is a picture of genuine salvation. If you are saved, no matter what you do, God will not blot your name out of the Lamb's book of life. And he says that over and over and over in one way or another to the disappointing churches in the book of Revelation. You disappoint me, but I'm not going to cast you out. You'll be in heaven. And that's what he is saying. But he is saying, get it right. Get it right. So white raiment is the picture of salvation. But look at now verse 17, verse 18, excuse me. Revelation 3, 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, get purer, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And I think that points out that there are some in the Laodicean church that were not truly even born again. Now, I've heard many times my own father-in-law, Ron Comfort, preach, and I believe he's right. A faith that does not change your life does not save your soul. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new. And we need to consider, are we genuinely saved? Now, if you love God and you love your Bible and you are totally confident that salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ alone, you have accepted Jesus, you're not everything you should be, but you are confident you do love God, you're not pretending. You want Jesus, it's not just your mom and dad's thing. Don't let me doubt, make you doubt your salvation. But if you hate to go to church, you don't want anything to do with this stuff, but you have to do it, you may be someone who is not genuinely clothed with white raiment. And it doesn't matter whose Sunday school class you pray to prayer in, you would die without Jesus and split hell wide open anyway. A faith that hasn't changed your life has not saved your soul, and you've got to consider that, am I truly born again? If that life is lukewarm and never seems to be fired up in the things of God. Now, the average Christian, lukewarm, the average Christian, why material things, other things entering in, his character gets pretty weak, he gets soft on things that he shouldn't be soft on, and that lukewarmness stirs us, stirs the heart of God to wretchedness. Now, we just have to ask ourselves, have we got lukewarm? Now, even if I haven't nailed anything yet on you, but you sense you're lukewarm because the Holy Spirit's telling you, hey, that's you. You're not what you used to be. You're just not committed like you used to be. You don't have that fire. Well, don't beat yourself up if you do have fire and you fail sometimes, but if you're lukewarm, I'm guessing the Holy Spirit will tell you. Now then, 
if you have gotten into lukewarm Christianity, then what? God gives counsel. And we're about to wrap this up. I right, take your Bibles and look back here now at Revelation chapter 3 and verse 18. The first thing that God does is He gives encouragement. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with thyself. Why? That thou mayest see. Now he says, thou mayest, thou mayest, thou mayest, thou mayest. Now the devil tells you, you just are never going to get your act together. God's word says you can. Now, God will help us, but it's got to start with wanting God to help us. God, burn the impurities out of this gold. Burn the impurities out of my heart. Show me what they are. I want them out. But we've got to want that too. Show me where I've gotten cold. Now, if you don't have the Holy Spirit tell you that you've gotten cold, I'm not saying you've gotten cold. But if the Holy Spirit says there's something wrong here, let's fix it. God is saying to us, thou mayest, thou mayest, thou mayest, thou mayest, thou mayest. And then God gives an exhortation and we're about done. Now notice what he says then, verse 18. I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire, thou mayest be rich. White raiment that thou mayest be clothed. You can get this thing fixed. And anoint thine eyes with thyself that thou mayest see. Thou mayest, thou mayest, thou mayest, thou mayest. And then he gives this exhortation, which is a warning with urgency. And I kind of preached it this morning about revival. We either get forgiveness or we get judgment. I personally believe that the United States is under the judgment of God, but I believe that there are individuals that have also forgotten God chastens whom he loves. Hebrews 12, 5 through 8. But notice what he says in verse 19. As many as I love, get it right. As many as I love, his love for us is not changed, even though we are wretched, soft on sin again, miserable, totally unhappy because we're not in fellowship with God, blind, doing things and don't even recognize it's wrong. You put on your dukes when somebody comes along like me and says, wine is a mocker. Oh, no, it doesn't say that in the Bible. It does. It's not just condemning getting drunk, it's condemning the substance itself. Wine is a mocker. Look not on the wine when it's stirreth in a cup. It's condemning it. Get it out of your refrigerator. Okay, keep it in your refrigerator. Fine, but you're not going to have fellowship with God when it's in there. Doesn't matter whose Sunday school class told you it's okay. And all of this stuff. Now then... He gives this exhortation, as many as love, even though you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I rebuke and I chasten, be zealous therefore and repent. And this is what we're calling for. We're not saying these things to beat people. We're saying these things to help people. And the only answer is, if we're going to see God bless America, if we're going to see God bless our personal lives, it's for one, it's for all, it's for Jew, it's for Gentile, it's for all generations. If we're going to see God bless this generation, we say, remember the good old days? Why can't they be today? Because it's for all generations. It's because we haven't repented. And you know what I think would be better? For us to say, God, 
if there's anything in me you don't like, or maybe don't like, I don't like it either. I want it gone. I'll let it go. And instead of seeing how evil can we be and still be okay, let's see how good we can be before the eyes of God. Now, I'm going to preach in Liberia, Africa next month. I mentioned that this morning. And when I'm going there, they have me speaking to a pastor's fellowship, and there are about 14 pastors, and I preach to them about once a month through Zoom. I'm kind of glad we have Zoom. And do you know, when I go, they are just waiting for Mike Pelletier to come and Mike Pelletier to teach them how to be preachers and how to be great Christians. And you know what I'm thinking? They need to be teaching me how to be a good Christian. You know what those people do in Liberia? They are hot. They get up at 6 a.m. They don't get up, and they get up earlier than that because at 6 a.m. they're meeting in the church building, about 14 to 15 of them, and they pray from 6 to 7 every day for God's blessing on the ministries of that day. And I said to Samuel last week, are you guys still praying every morning at 5 a.m.? He says, we moved it to 6 a.m., backsliders. <laughs> but we do pray at 6 a.m. every morning. And then he says, and then we come back together at 6 p.m. And they pray for another hour at 6 p.m. And I'm supposed to teach them how to be a Christian? And then... They have 140 students in a small Christian school there, and they labor, and then they go into the villages on a designated day once a week, and they witness. He showed me a picture how they went to one village, and they saw, I think it was 14 people that had just gotten saved. Do you know what the week before? They went to a different village, and they saw some people saved there. And then they sent me a picture of what is going on in another village and how they were starting a church and how the church building's up. That started three weeks ago. They chopped all the land down. They put up the fence and they showed me the first church service that they had. Now, I got a message yesterday from a fellow in Northeast India. I'm going to be in Northeast India, as I mentioned, next year. And here's what, I can't even pronounce his name. He invited me to speak for him, but he said this. He says, um, he says, um, happy to know about your interest and burden to reach people in other faiths like Hindu and Muslim. To reach the unreached people, we need to move out of our comfort zone. In my 15 years of ministry, I met many Christian missionaries who are afraid to work among the Hindu-dominated areas and working only among where Christians are. Spending Christian money upon Christian people. Whenever I meet some of my seminary friends, I used to challenge them to move out of their comfort zone because of these. Some of the Christian missionaries are not willing to meet. They're not willing to do that because of the dangers. He says, working among Hindus is not safe, but it is the burden that I have. We cannot at present present the gospel directly, but we're always trying ways to get the gospel in. Now, here's a man that gets up at 6 a.m. There's a man that gets up and he goes to a Hindu country. Now, I'm not saying that we all need to go to the Hindu country. We all need to go to the danger zones. We all need to prove our loyalty to God. But I am saying 
We all ought to have loyalty to God. And God help us to not be lukewarm. Now let's bow our heads.